0: And his love, on us. don't you love that word lavish? I mean, it's, it, it gives the idea that it wasn't just a little sprinkling of God's love, or it wasn't just a little, uh, little tiny bit of God's love, but to be lavished with God's grace and mercy. And what a blessing that is for us, his children. Well, thank you for joining us again this morning. As I look around, I see that there's a couple of people that are missing that would normally be here with their families. Um, Siemens, it looks like that Amanda and Caleb are not with us today. Okay, so Caleb's getting x-rayed. Isn't it great to be the parent of a boy? (laughs) Four of them, times four, yeah, right. Uh, Okay, so Caleb may be going back to school tomorrow, so let's pray for Caleb in that adjustment. And you know, with Caleb... Any Anything that might seem minor to somebody else tends to be a big thing um, because of his, uh, his autism. And so just uh, pray for him that he would settle in nicely and things would go well as he returns to school. And then Brian's not with us this morning, so pray for Brian. He started a new job. Um, so as they work through the adjustments there in their family and their home with the new job, uh, pray for Brian that he uh, gets things uh, regulated and sorted out and he'll be able to join us on a regular basis as well. All right, so the title of our message, if you look at your note page, it says, so now what? So now what? Okay, well, Pastor, what are you talking about? So now what? Well, this morning, uh, and I kind of had to go into a little bit of a covert operation on Friday night when somebody mentioned that we, Mike's not on? little Little loud. Oh, that's not my problem. Um, I, I can't do anything about that. Uh, so, <clears throat> so anyway, if you, can, if you can tweak us a little bit back there, that'll be good for, I guess, uh, at least one person this morning. Uh, so anyway, on Friday night I had to go into a little bit of a covert operation because uh, we were at a, a family's house and uh, the question came up about the series sermon of the attributes of God. And how much longer is this sermon going to go? We've only been doing it for 30-some weeks, so it's not like it's been that long, right? Okay, um, I mean, we could, we could actually keep going because we would never really run out of things to talk about as far as our great God is concerned. But I knew that I was wrapping up the sermon, the series this morning, but I kind of didn't say anything about it. So anyway, as we wrap up our study on the attributes of God, um, let me remind you, and I, and I hope you've learned this from our study so far. There is no one like our God. Just there isn't. There's nobody that can compare to who our God is. I think Lincoln Brewster got it right in his song. You may hear it on the radio if you listen to Christian radio. Let me just read a few of the words to that song. It says, what is this love that won't relent, that's calling out with heaven's breath, who is reaching wide to save our souls? Only you what is this grace that makes no sense, that we could never recompense, who gives us all a second chance? Only you, only you, only you. And then he says, there is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. There is no other God who can save. There is no one like our God. Who hung the stars upon the night, and showed the sun how bright to shine, who shaped the world within his hands. Only you, who set the sky upon the hills and told the waters to be still, who spoke to form the universe. Only you, only you. There is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. There is no other God who can save. No one like our God. No height or depth can stand between us. No power on earth or all creation. No life or death can separate us from your love. No height or depth can stand between us. No power on earth or all creation. No life or death can separate us from your love. There is no one like our God. There is no other God who can save. What a great reminder of how awesome Our God is. Now, in the song uh, Brewster mentions, sings about a few of the attributes like love and grace, but he also speaks of the power of God in salvation and in creation. So I hope over these 30-some weeks that we have been studying the attributes of God, we have become more impressed, and we stand more in awe of who our great God is and what he is like. Perhaps it gives you more meaning when you worship in song and you sing O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the works your hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And then sings my soul. My Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul. My Savior God to thee, how great thou art. That's worship, my friends. And that should be the response of our heart to our great God. Now, when we started this study, I asked you to share your favorite attributes of God. Karen wrote them down for us. This morning... I'm going to ask you again to share your, to shout out actually, just shout them out, your favorite attributes of God. Perhaps your favorite attribute has changed as we studied many, but not all of the attributes of God. We're we're not going to write them down, but perhaps someone will say one thing that is encouragement to you about our great God, and somebody would want to expound on that. So let's go ahead and do that. What are your favorite attributes or something that you've learned about God in our study of the attributes of God? Jehovah Jireh, he is our provider, yep. Benevolent. He cares for us. Yeah, he's faithful all the time. Every day, all the time. Immutable. What does that mean? He doesn't change. He's a never-changing God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Someone else. Forgiving. Yeah. He has forgiven us. Of our sin. And not just one or two sins, but all of them. And as a result of being forgiven, we have a relationship with him. Sin does not separate us from God anymore because we've been forgiven. Any others? Like I said, we covered 30 of them. So we could, we could actually be here quite a long time this morning talking about those 30 attributes... 30 plus attributes that we've covered. Any others? Yeah, his love. We sang about it this morning. Uh, And you know, we're going to touch on that a little bit this morning. The love of God. And sometimes people say, well, you talk too much about the love of God. You know what? I'm not sure you can ever talk too much about the love of God. And what we ought to do uh, is we ought to start emulating that love of God. We ought to start living that out or continue to live that out in our lives. So as we've kind of reviewed a few of these attributes of our God, let's think about now what you and I should do with this newfound or freshly reminded truths that we have learned about God. How should I respond as a child of God because of who God is? That's our goal this morning. That's our desire this morning as we kind of wrapped up this study in the attributes of God. Our text this morning is going to be from the book of 2 Corinthians. So open your copy of the scriptures, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter three. Funny, I saw a meme on Facebook. uh, I think it might even have been this morning that uh, there's a couple of older folks sitting next to each other in in church on Sunday morning. And uh, the comment was made, The pastor said he was going to speak from the text such and such, and I'm wondering which one it is as they're scrolling up and down on their phone. Um, The text this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, and it's far more important than any text you will ever receive on this device that you have in your pocket. So would you stand with me together? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. It's up on the screen, so let's read together from the screen uh, God's word this morning. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. Father, your word is what governs our lives. It dictates how we live life. Father, your word is our guide, and we ask that you'd help us to live by your word, live in light of your word, and trust your word to be that which guides us through our days here on this earth. Father, we thank you for the preservation of your word by your great power. Lord, we believe that we have an accurate copy of Your Word in our hands today. In fact, we have it in so many available in so many different forms. We can read it on our computer. We can read it on our phones. We can read it on our tablets. We can read it uh, on the pages of, of of the book that we hold in our hands and on our laps. Uh, Father, we are blessed to have such free access to Your Word. And so we ask this morning, as we look into your word, you would give us the opportunity to learn from it today, help us to put it into practice in our lives on a daily basis. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you may be seated. So as we get started, let me just say that this passage, you know, we live in a strange time, okay? We live in a strange world today. Uh, Things are kind of in upheaval. Uh, Hopefully, we're getting back to a little more normal, but... uh, We're still not back to normal yet, are we? So let me just start off by saying, and this this is not a joke, this is a very serious comment. The passage that we just read and the first point that's up there on the screen talks about unveiling. This has nothing to do with wearing face masks, okay? Nothing at all with that. Interesting thing is, I received a phone call a while back from a member of our community, somebody who lives right here in Preble. They wanted to know if our church was teaching that people should not wear masks or get vaccines. That was a genuine question from a lady in our community. In essence, they were asking, what is your official position on this? And I told her, in reality, we don't have an official position on this. I I told this individual that they should pray about it. They should talk to their health care provider, and they should make an informed, prayed-about decision and, and land on that as your, as your official position, because we as a church don't really have one. As our church, um, uh, the suggested protocol, you know what it is. I don't have to go over that. Um, and, 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 and again, let me remind you that we don't do this because we're afraid of anything, We don't do this because we think that we have to appease anybody. We simply do it because we want to make, like, I mean, I'm not not making this phone call up. This is a genuine phone call about somebody who's concerned about what we might be teaching as a church. Okay. And, and so I want here to understand that this is where we stand. And in this church and our leadership, we take that responsibility very seriously. We take res- serious the fact that we are responsible for the testimony of this church. We are responsible for the care of the people in our church. And can I also say this, since I'm talking about our leadership, um, can I let you know that our leadership here as a church uh, they, they respect your decisions that you make when it comes to personal choices. And it's not our goal to enforce or force upon you something that you're not comfortable with. And, and let me say also this, that um, we have four men who serve as deacons here in our church. And these four men serve as deacons for a couple of reasons. One, because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. They love our great God and it's their desire to serve him by serving you. Number two, they love you, and they desire to do what is best for this church family as a body. They, they're trying to uh, take into account each one. I mean, if you want to come to our deacons meetings, you're welcome to do that, and you'll see the kinds of things that we discuss. And I don't know what the best word is for it, but the... You know, sometimes it's difficult to reach a conclusion and a decision because there's so many different factors. I mean, you take a church that we have you know, somewhere between 60 and 70 people that attend on a Sunday morning, and you try to take into all of those things the accounts of each one of those things. It's, it's a tough choice, tough decisions that have to be made. And the third thing that's true about our deacons is that they love the lost, and they want to see what we do as a church to make a greater impact on our community. We're, our goal is to reach this community for the cause of Christ. And I know that's your goal as well. You want others to know, come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So as we work through these crazy things in this difficult time in which we live in, we, uh, we want to do what is right. As, as you know, That's our goal, to do the right thing as far as the Scriptures teach us. That's, that's where we land. We, what does the Scripture say about this? What does the Scripture teach about this? And so... Um, As we work our way through our text this morning, I just wanted to set that record straight, that this unveiling has nothing to do with the masks that we have to wear or that we're asked to wear from time to time. Um, But as we work through the text this morning, we will see that there needs to be an unveiling of our hearts, and that's what Paul was trying to get at in this passage of Scripture. And you know what happens as we unveil our hearts we become more and more like our Savior Jesus Christ, and that's the amazing thing. So let's talk about context this morning a little bit. Let's talk about the context of the unveiling here in Second Corinthians chapter three, verse fifteen, where where we read well, we've read this morning already. Um, This day, whenever Moses is read, a a veil lies over their heart. The context of this passage is the Old Testament. We go back to the the understanding of what happened in Moses' life. And can I say this? When we study Scripture, context is of the utmost importance. You're not likely to arrive at a correct understanding of Scripture if you don't get the context right. A lot of improper understanding and application of Scripture comes when people fail to understand the context of the scripture, of the passage that is written for our study. And here's the context. We've already mentioned it. But this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. It takes us back to the life of Moses. takes us back to the Old Testament. And more than that, it takes us back to the old covenant of the law. In fact... This incident of the veiling of the face of Moses was when Moses came down from the mountain having received the tablets of stone from God. Moses came down from the mountain and he, the people saw him and they were taken aback. In fact, you know what scripture says? They were afraid to, to see Moses face to face. Moses' face shined brightly from being in the presence of God. And as his face shined... The, the, the people said, well, what are we going to do about this? Remember, these same people were at the base of the mountain when the mountain started to, to rumble and quake. And the, the, the fear of God struck these people and they're like, hey, you know what? We better just let Moses do the interacting with God for us. Uh, we don't want to do anything that would offend him. We don't want to do anything that's going to make him go against us. So let's just let Moses take So these guys, they understand what it means to be in fear. And, and let me just add this. We live on this side of the cross, not this side of the cross. So we don't have to have that kind of fear of our God. Because our God has sent his son, demonstrating his love for us, so that we might be redeemed and reconciled. But Moses, the glory of the Lord, rubbed off on Moses, okay? And that was evident from his shining face. And, and here's the first hand account from the book of Exodus, chapter 34. It says this, So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near to him. The glory of the Lord was evident in Moses' life. You know it's interesting? Because Moses spent time with the Lord... The, the, the glory of the Lord was evident in Moses' life. And I want to tell you this this morning. When you and I spend time with the Lord, it is evident that the glory of the Lord rubs off on us. It's evident in the things we do, the things we say, the places we go, the way we live life. The glory of the Lord becomes a reflection of who we are and our relationship with him. Moses, back in Exodus chapter 34, helps us understand what's happening here in 2 Corinthians. Um, In fact, let me just read a little bit more of that account in Exodus chapter 34. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak to them. You see, what Paul's telling the Corinthian believers here is it was clear that Moses' life had been impacted by spending time with the Holy One. Here's the warning that we need to take away from this. The Jews of Moses' day had the tools they needed to know what God wanted them to know. They had everything they needed to know what God was saying to them. But you know what? They chose not to use those tools. They chose not to respond to the revelation of God. They remained ignorant to whatever revelation was available available to them. You see, the veil of ignorance obscures the true purpose of the old covenant to the hardened heart. That in turn made them ignorant to their need for a new covenant. So what Paul is saying here is that your hardness of your heart from the old covenant and from your forefathers that they've passed on to you for their disregard for the things of God has rubbed off on you today. Your heart is still hard. You still don't understand what God is doing and what God wants you to know in your life today. The hardness of their heart was evident and it sadly impacted future generations. And I wonder where we are today in regard to that. It's it's common knowledge. It's evident that what we believe is going to be conveyed to our children And if we don't do a good job conveying that to our children, they're not going to convey it with as much conviction as we did to them. So remember this, that you are passing on your faith, your love for God to your children. And if they see it in a skewed way, they're going to end up perhaps not quite thinking the way they ought to from God's perspective. That's what happened with the the people in Paul's day. Paul wanted the Corinthians to understand, hey, listen to me. You guys, you need to trust God. You need to love God. You need to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We see that in our passage this morning. Um, when, and then we also see it, remember we studied the book of Hebrews not too long ago? We see it when the writer of Hebrews wrote and he challenged those who would read his words of the Holy Spirit. In in Hebrews, he says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through your own deceitfulness of sin. In essence, Paul and the writer of Hebrews are urging their readers to not have a hard heart. But to let the Scripture work in your heart, work in your life. Let the things that you know to be true about God from the pages of Scripture impact your life. So this morning, we want the truths that we have learned about our great God, the attributes of our great God, to impact our hearts, to change us from even what we are today, and that doesn't mean you're in a bad place today, but even if you're in the right place where you ought to be today, to make you closer to God tomorrow and the following day and the next week and the next month. Our goal is to become like our Savior, Jesus Christ, to live for him, to love him, to demonstrate him to others. Let's see in verses 16 and 17 about the conversion of the unveiled. What makes this unveiling a reality or possible in the lives of the children of God? In verse 16, he says, But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. First of all, we see necessary for conversion is the act of repentance. We must turn to the Lord. Peter was a great preacher of repentance. And when I say he was a preacher of repentance, he literally preached repentance. In Acts chapter 2, you know what happens in Acts chapter 2, right? Pentecost takes place. And the the, the Jewish people had gathered for the feast of Pentecost. And Peter is going to preach his first message. And wow, what a message it was. It resulted in the uh, thousands and thousands of people coming to know Jesus as their savior. But what does he say in Acts chapter 2 verse 38? Then Peter said to them, "Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." That day of Pentecost, what happened on that day? Peter preach repentance what is that what does repentance actually mean? Well, repentance means that you turn away from your sin, you do an about face if you will it 's actually a military term um, or perhaps you could say it was a marching band term. I remember when we were in when I played my instrument the clarinet in marching band, we would be marching and mr rotunda uh, the the, the band leader in the junior high he always had his whistle with us and he told us this is what the this is what one blow of the whistle means this is what two blows of the whistle means this is what three blows of the whistle means and I think it was three blows that meant you stop and you do an about face you turn around and you go the actual opposite way of what you were going that was when we got in front of the grandstand and we were being judged and all that kind of stuff because they wanted to see the way you looked. they wanted to see all this other stuff that you had to Impress the judges with. But a repentance is not about face. It's a turnaround. It's a stop doing this and go in the other direction and start doing this. Peter says, you must repent, number one. Number two, you must be baptized. And and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So as believers, we want to make sure that we are repenting from that old lifestyle. And then again, in Acts chapter 3, Peter has another opportunity to preach. And you know what he preaches about? He preaches about repentance. Verse 19 of chapter 3 in Acts, Peter says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Wow, what a great verse that is. What happens when we repent? Well, our sins are blotted out. They're taken care of. They're wiped away. The slate, if you will, is wiped clean. But you know what else? You have, when you repent, according to Peter in Acts chapter 3, you have the refreshing of your soul, the refreshing of your heart. Are you feeling kind of lethargic in your Christianity? Are you just not excited about where you are in your walk with the Lord? Well, Peter says when we repent... That refreshing, that renewal comes back to our lives. And then just one more, and this by no means covers all of the repentance messages that Peter preached. But in Acts chapter 5, verses 29 through 32, we see also another message of repentance from Peter. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, now this is when their life is on the line. They've been told by the authorities, you can't preach what you've been preaching This Jesus guy, we don't like him, we don't want you talking about him. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Peter's getting pretty bold here, he's not pulling any punches, okay? Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us who obey him. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying that Jesus gives repentance. When you believe in Jesus Christ, he is the one who allows you to repent. He's the one who brings repentance to your soul and to your heart and to your mind. And you begin to stop doing what you were doing and start doing what God calls you to do. Now, understand this. Repentance is not just for salvation. Okay? We often equate repentance and salvation, but repentance isn't just about salvation. It's also for those who are in the body of Christ. Paul gives Pastor Timothy some advice in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where he writes, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and... In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Who's Paul talking to? He's talking to Pastor Timothy, who is responsible for shepherding the sheep. And he says to them, he says to Timothy, you need to preach the truth of God's word all the time. All the time. Because that will help people who get confused. That will help people who are uh, mixed up in their theological bent. That will help straighten them out. That will, he's pretty funny when he says it. Bring them to their senses. okay? And so Paul wants Timothy to remember it's the word of God that brings truth. It's the word of God that brings repentance to the child of God. Even after they're saved. So Paul says, Timothy, tell these people not to get involved in the things that don't really matter. It's akin to having your your face veiled from the truth. There's a need to repent and there's a need to live life in a way that honors the Lord and furthers his work. So we see the act of repentance and then we move on and we see the reward of the unveiling for, as we think about this conversion idea, the reward of the unveiling. Paul goes on to say that those who have trusted the Lord as their savior, there's liberty, liberty now what, is, what does paul mean when he's talking about this liberty here well that's a good question that's a fair question to ask liberty we all i mean what's that big bell in philadelphia called liberty bell and you know the history of the liberty bell right they they rang that bell when they what why do they ring the bell anybody remember they were declaring their freedom their liberty from the british and the bell cracked that's why it's that's why it's a, a, a symbol of our history of our heritage okay liberty especially as americans we we want to hold on to our liberty Okay? but Paul's talking something a little bit about a little different about the liberty that he's, he's talking about here. He's saying that those who have repented and trusted the Lord as their Savior have freedom from the bondage of the law. Okay We're no longer bound to the law. The law does not hold us captive, okay? But he goes on to say there's more to that than just the freedom from the law. The Spirit gives us freedom from sin. The Spirit gives us freedom from death and the Spirit gives us freedom from the condemnation of the law. You see, the law had a very specific purpose in the life of the Jewish people. The law was never meant to save people. You know why? Because people could never keep the law. So the law was not meant to save people, but the law was meant to show people something. And you know what it was meant to show them? It was meant to show them their inadequacies, their inability to live righteously before God. Their inability to live and keep the law. Because in essence, if you live keeping the law, you know what happens? Your religion becomes a works-based religion. And God never intended religion to be works-based. It's all about God. And so when God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. He completed the, every aspect of the law. And so with his death, his burial, his resurrection from the grave, he gives us liberty. Liberty from what? Liberty from the bondage that was placed upon us because of sin. You see, because of the work of Christ, you and I can actually live our lives doing what is right, And serving our great God. We couldn't do that until we were born again. We couldn't do that until we became benefactors of the new covenant. You see, Pastor, you keep talking about this new covenant and this old covenant. Well, we're going to enter into a little more um, uh, significant discussion here in verse 18 as we read about the character of the unveiled. The character of the unveil. We see in verse 18 the transformation that has taken place for the child of God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's a transformation that has taken place in your life. And it's an incredible transformation. Make no mistake about it. This transformation is, it's, you know, I, I kind of hesitate to use the word awesome, but really that's what this transformation is. It's awesome. It's amazing. There's nothing like it. We could sum up this transformation in one word. You say, well, good, we're going to get out of here early. No, no such n- no such luck with that. Okay? Cuz we're going to have to unpack this word. Okay? But the word is Christ likeness. That's the word. The transformation is becoming like our savior Jesus Christ. Take a look there again at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18, And you see in that, in that verse a phrase there where Paul says, We have been transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Transformed into the same image. What image is that? Well, that's the image of Christ. Oh, wow. You and I transformed into the image of Christ. You know what we call this? We call this sanctification. We are growing in our Christ likeness. So this morning the rest of our time that we have together is going to be spent looking at that idea of Christ likeness. How do I become more and more like Jesus Christ? How do I how does my life start reflecting the life of Jesus Christ? How do I become more mature in my walk with the Lord? Well, first of all, this becoming more like Christ, we have to know who Christ is, right? We have to know what He is like. And how, do we, how does that take place? Well, it takes place through the pages of Scripture. So I submit to you this morning that in order for you to become more like Christ, you have to have a love for the Word of God. You have to have a love for this book. What does that love of the Word of God look like? Well, Here's the first thing. It means that you and I, as a child of God, one who has been transformed, we place a highest, or, or we place the highest value on the Word of God. You hear us say around here at Calvary Baptist Church that the Word of God is our sole authority for faith and practice. And you know what? That's not just a good saying. We don't say that because it sounds nice. We say it because that's what we want our tr- church to be all about following the word of God. We consult God's word. We study God's word. And we strive to put into practice what God has revealed to us through the pages of scripture. We want to implement God's word into the practices of Calvary Baptist Church. Now, again, Paul is writing to young Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter two. And what does he say to, to the pastor of the church there? He says, be diligent to do your very best, if you will. For what purpose? To present yourself approved to God. And that's what we should all be doing, studying God's word, diligently understanding and, and, and loving God's word, reading God's word, studying God's word, so why that we can be approved by God in our relationship with him. Tested, if you will, so that we have the answers to the difficulties in life. So, other than place the high value on God's word, we also need to properly interpret the word of God. Properly interpret the word of God. Now, this starts with taking the word of God literally. As it was written, I need to tell you that there's no room, when we, when we understand God's word literally, there's no room for, I feel the word of God says this. No, what does the word of God say? Get into it, study it, tear it apart, Put it into an understanding that it comes from knowing what the words of God say in the word of God. It It can't be what I feel about God's word. It has to be I understand what the word says. The rest of the verse that Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy says, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's really no need for us as people, especially the children of God, to misinterpret God's Word. We have all the tools at our disposal to read and to understand and study and arrive at the correct interpretation of God's Word. And you know why we have that? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit acts as our teacher to help us rightly divide and understand the Word of God. So first of all, I place the highest value on God's word. Secondly, I properly interpret the word of God. And thirdly, I practice the word of God. Practice it. When we have discovered what the text says, through the proper interpretation, we can then put it into practice in our lives. We can do what God commands us in scripture when we are committed to its value in our lives and in our church and in our homes. We can, we can do the next logical thing. What is the next logical thing after you that high, highly value God's word and you properly interpret God's word, what's the next thing? You apply God's word. You do God's word. You live it out. Remember that saying that Nike, I don't know if that's still their saying, but Nike had the saying when they came, well, I think Michael Jordan was the first guy who endorsed the saying, just do it. Just do it. So, what do we do with God's word once we've properly un- understood it? We do it. In fact, if you want to be technical, the word of God is the best, way, best place to apply that saying. Just do it. But don't just do it based on your thoughts or your ideas. Do it based on what the word of God says. What does God say to me? How should I live life? What should my Christianity look like? Well, there's commands in God's word. Things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. Now, let me say this. Christianity isn't a list of do's and don'ts. But when there are do's and don'ts that apply to us, when we properly interpret scripture, we better do them. Let me start off with this. Remember what Jesus said? If you love me, you will will do what? You will keep my commandments. You will do what I tell you to do. There's no debate over the things that jesus wants us to do he wants us to obey he wants us to keep the commandments what are those commandments well there's a list of them in the old testament we call them the 10 commandments okay now let me quickly say this we don't have to keep the 10 commandments to be saved because we can't keep the 10 commandments but we should be striving to let them be the governing influence in our lives. There's no, there's no debates over the commandments. Let me ask you, quickly. Oh, you're beat me to it, Ryan. What are the Ten Commandments? Do you know them? And I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to follow this to the letter. But it should be what we strive to do. First of all, no other gods before me. Easy one, right? <laughs> he's not just talking about graven images because that's the next one. You don't have any graven images. Don't make gods that take the place of me. But the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. What does that mean? Well, it means I don't let anything in my life get between me and God. It doesn't have to be a graven image. It could be work, it could be hobbies, it could be family. Now those are all good things, right? All things that we need to be doing. But we need to be doing them in light of how God instructs us to do them. So no other gods before me. No graven images. Uh, Here's another one. Don't take the Lord, your God's name, in vain. In other words, don't just spout off about, you know, you're angry or something and you say, Oh, you don't do that. I'm not even going to do it as I'm explaining it to you. God's name is holy. God's name is reverent. When do we take God's name? When do we use God's name? Well, we use it when we're worshiping him. We use it when we're talking to him in prayer. We're using it when we're praising his name. That's when we use the name. We don't just use it for any purpose. We use it in accordance with scripture's guidelines. Worship and praise and adore and confess our sins. All of those things are ways that we use God's name. He says, don't use it with emptiness. Don't use it at a time when it has no meaning. Remember the Sabbath. We'll talk about that in a minute. Honor your father and your mother. Ugh. Really? I have to do that? We have a lady in our church who has claimed this promise. Of honoring your father and your mother. You know what happens when you honor your father and mother? It's the first commandment with promise. What's the promise? That your days may be long upon the earth. Okay, Um, Virginia's story. She took care of her mom and dad right up to the very end. And she says, Pastor, that means I can claim that promise. She wants to live to be an old lady. She's got a ways to go, right? So, you see, it's practical. She's not doing that to be saved. She's doing it because she's saved. Honor your father and your mother. You honor them because it's the right thing to do. And you honor them because now you can do it, because you are saved. You have that ability. Before, you didn't really have the ability. Then there's the ones that are easy do not kill. Well, don't murder. You don't take a life without the right cause. Because some people will say, I see God said don't kill, so that means no capital punishment. No, that's not what that means. Some people will say, well, God said don't kill, so that means you can't uh, go to war and kill somebody. That's not what it means. Do we dare touch on one? If you're a police officer and you have just cause to take a life, does that mean this verse says you, know, you can't do that? No. Because there's other passages of Scripture that instruct us that that is right for those applications of taking a life. Killing somebody means that you take their life without any value placed on their life, no reason of self-defense, no reason of any other command to take their life. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Now, Pastor, you might be meddling a little bit. It's what the scripture says. And and just because we're on this side of the cross, we're in the new covenant, doesn't mean that that gives us the right to break that commandment. Do not commit adultery. What is adultery? We're not going to get into a long discussion about it. But simply, adultery means that you're having relationships with somebody you're not married to. And that's not acceptable in God's eyes. Do not do it. Do not steal. Again, Most of us probably don't think we have any problem with that, and hopefully we don't. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Don't tell things that are not true. Don't act as a witness of something that you say you saw if you didn't really see it. Don't say something about somebody else that's not true. Don't give a witness that is inaccurate or untrue. Do not covet. Don't desire what your neighbor has and take the steps that you have to take to get what your neighbor has if they disregard the law of God. It doesn't mean that, hey, my neighbor's got a nice car, I think I want a car like that, and you go out and buy it. it doesn't mean you're coveting your neighbor's car. You've gone out and bought your own car. okay? But it means that I see that, and you devise a plan in your heart and in your mind so that you can get it no matter what the costs, no matter what it means to your testimony. You see, sometimes I think, As Christians who live in the church age, we just kind of disregard the Ten Commandments because we live in the church age. Remember, Jesus summarized these commandments when he was here on earth. In fact, he summarized them this way in Matthew. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So in other words, you got a list of the commandments up there. On one side of the list is your relationship to God, and on the other side of the list is your relationship to man. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. There's that word love again. Hmm. So that's the Ten Commandments. You say, well, pastor, what about that one that we don't ever keep in the church age? It's the one that says, remember the Sabbath. Well, If you study the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus repeated all of the commandments for us to observe and obey and keep, except the Sabbath. So why do we not keep the Sabbath? Well, because a greater day came than the Sabbath. What was that day? We just celebrated it a couple of weeks ago. Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ because he defeated death, he defeated the grave, and he's ascended back into heaven. And he's coming again someday to get us. So we celebrate the resurrection of Christ instead of celebrating the Sabbath. And by the way, just for those of you that think we should just make the Sunday the Sabbath, the Sabbath was on Saturday, okay? Not on Sunday. So if you're into keeping the Sabbath, then you shouldn't go anywhere on Saturday, okay? So, it's not, it's not something that we're told to keep in this age because Christ gave us freedom from that. So you have the idea of, of loving the word of God, placing the highest value on the word of God, properly interpreting the word of God, and then practicing the word of God. Now, let's move on in our text this morning. We also need to see that we have a longing to communicate the God of the word. We must long to communicate about our our great God, who He is. This is how I become more like my Savior, Jesus Christ, when I'm talking more about Him and telling others about Him, who He is, what He has done in my life. I want people to know what the Bible says about my great God. And as I do that, the Bible then helps me live life in a way that honors God. We see this in the Great Commission. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. There's that word baptizing again. You think that's important for the child of God? For those of us who know Jesus as our Savior? Do you think baptism is important? Yeah, it's a step in becoming like Christ. It's a step in the right direction of being obedient to the cause of Christ. But he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here it is, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Can I ask you a question? Where do we find the things that Jesus taught his disciples? Pastor, that's a silly question. No, it's not. This is what we teach. We teach the word of God. We teach the scriptures. We teach people to become followers of Christ. When we make disciples, you've heard me say this before, I don't make disciples of Tim Mowers because Tim Mowers has his own faults. I don't want my faults being replicated or duplicated in somebody else's life. So I teach them what the word of God says. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have a longing to communicate God's word. Paul tells Timothy, again, young pastor Timothy, he has the same words for similar words to him. He says, Preach the word. What's the word? This book. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. That's what the word is is used for. He wants us to use the word for those purposes. So we have this longing to communicate the word of God. Another step in the way of becoming more like Christ is that we develop lasting convictions from the word of God. Lasting convictions from the word of God. Some people confuse the word of God. I grew up in a time when people confused tradition and preferences with convictions. There's a difference. Where do our convictions come from? Our convictions come from this book. Our convictions come from the pages of scripture. We should be willing to live and die on the convictions that we get from God's word. Our, our preferences, they can come and go. In fact, you know what? Our preferences might change from year to year or decade to decade. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with the traditions changing. It's the word of God that we stand on. We cannot change from that. We must develop our convictions from the word of God. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with preferences. There's nothing wrong with traditions. As long as they don't violate scripture. But you have to be careful because the church was not so careful in years gone by. The church forced a lot of preferences on people. And I think for some reasons, that's why a lot of people have left the church. Because they don't like those traditions and those preferences. And they ask the valid question, can you show me that in God's word? Well, I should be able to show you my convictions from God's word. And then I can say, okay, from the convictions, this is how you do life and develop your preferences and your choices and your traditions. Our study about how great our God is should prompt us to want to live for him as he teaches about himself in the pages of Scripture. And then we also want to see that we are living out Christ-like compassion to others. This is how I become more like Christ. I live out Christ-like compassion to them. Why does the Bible talk so much about love? Well, because people need to know that they are loved. How do people know that they're loved? Well, when they're told that they're loved. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's God telling the people, I love you. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, people don't know they're loved unless they're told they're loved. But there's another step to that. You can't just tell people that you love them. You have to live in light of that love. You have to live like you do love them. Because a lot of people are told, I love you. And then when it comes right down to it, that love is not demonstrated. You see, for God so loved the world, he gave. God demonstrated his love in that while we were sinners, he gave his son. Love can't just be spoken. Love has to be demonstrated. It's obvious that God loves the world. God loves mankind. In fact, He loves so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for those who He has called to be part of His family. But other than that, you and I are also supposed to love. God has called us to love. And how has He called us to love? To love the same way that Jesus loves, the same love the same way He loves. Paul tells us how to do that in his letter to the Ephesian believers. He says this, But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We've talked about this already, but you see the problem is that the church for a long time has had a hard time communicating the truth in love. We're really good at communicating the truth, but sometimes we leave the love part out. I remember telling somebody in our church in South Africa came to me one day and he said, Pastor, you know so-and-so and so-and-so? They're, they're living in sin. I said, yeah. Are you going to let them come to church living like that? Yeah. Well, why? I said, well, number one, have they ever professed to know Jesus as their Savior? No. Well, then where do you want them to go to hear the truth? Where do you want them to go to be loved like Jesus loves well i i guess church is the place for that yeah so if you're living in if you're if you're not saved what do you, what do we as a church expect the world to live like well, they can't live like saints cuz they're not saints they live like the world We want them to come to church where we can love on them and we can teach them the truth and the truth can then become that which convicts them not because I said so but because God says so. This is the way you do life. These are the changes that God's word brings about in a person's life. I can't bring those changes about. I have to trust God to bring those changes about. Speak the truth in love that we may grow up in all things, that we may become more like Jesus. And you know what happens when we speak the truth in love? There's an amazing unity in the body of Christ. That's what Paul says. The result of speaking the truth in love results in growth in the body and the edifying itself in love. So we as a church want to speak the truth, but we want to do it in a way that loves. I've often said that you and I, when we take the message of salvation to somebody, it's an offensive message. (laughs) You start the conversation off with, hey, you know what? You're a sinner. That's offensive. But I don't have to deliver it in an offensive way. You rotten, no good for nothing, dirty scoundrel of a sinner that you are. You know what, you're a sinner, but God loves you. I I was a sinner too, and I still sin, but I'm not classified as a sinner anymore because Jesus saved me. You can communicate that very offensive message in a very loving way. So, as a church, that should be our goal to communicate the truth in love. And even when we communicate to our brothers and sisters, we must communicate in love. We must communicate in a way that doesn't shut down the dialogue, but it allows the continued dialogue to go on. Sometimes as brothers and sisters in Christ, we communicate, but you know what we do? We don't communicate in love, and so, that causes discord. That causes disunity in the body, and God does not like that. In fact, the wisest man who ever lived said in Proverbs chapter 6, the one who sows discord among the brethren, that's one of the seven things that God hates So make sure that as brothers and sisters in Christ we communicate in love and not in discord. Well, let's keep moving on because the clock keeps moving. So the last thing that I want to do as I live more like Christ is I want to learn to be humble. Learn to be humble. And that's we have to learn to do that. And don't be offended by that because you know what? Scripture says that Jesus learned obedience to the death. He learned humility. Philippians chapter two, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not, thought, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself And became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. My, you know what? That's the greatest demonstration of humility that mankind has ever seen. The kind of humility that should be found in us as the followers of Jesus Christ. That's what it takes to become like Jesus Christ. I have to humble myself because, in myself, I'm not so Christ like. But if I put self behind me and I strive to be like Jesus, others will see that. Paul called us to be transformed into the image of Jesus from glory to glory. That's an interesting phrase. As we move from glory to glory, there's something even more important about the glory of the new covenant. You see, when Paul says you move from glory to glory, he's talking about the glory of the old covenant to the glory of the new covenant. The glory of the old covenant was you need a savior, You you need somebody who will change your life. And the glory of the New Testament is you have a Savior. Somebody has come to make that difference in your life. So as we move from glory to glory, as Christians, we understand or we need to understand it's a supernatural power that transforms us. There's a supernatural power at work in your life making you less like me and more like him. And praise God for that because we all need it, don't we? That brings us to God's ultimate purpose, excuse me, purpose and destination for every believer, the transformation into the image of his own beloved son. Pretty awesome stuff we're talking about here, but a pretty important call from God to become like Jesus. So as we have learned so much more about our great God in the study of these attributes, what does that require from me? Oh man, what does God require of you but to walk humbly and to live justly before my God? In other words, to become like Jesus who humbled himself and lived justly. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we see that we are to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. May it be our prayer today that as we become more and more like Jesus, that we will treat our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ like Jesus treats his followers. That we will love with grace and mercy. We will communicate the love of God in a gracious, kind, and merciful way. That we will act like the Father acted when he demonstrated his love to us by sending his Son to save sinners. So by studying the great attributes of our great God, we can make these truths real in our lives. And we, as the songwriter said, can become more like the master, more like our Savior who gave his life for us. Let's close our time together in prayer. And then we're going to sing a song that calls us to implement these attributes of God into our own lives. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your word. Your word is what helps us become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Your word is what helps us reach others for the cause of Christ. Your word teaches us how to do that. And your word teaches us what it means to live like Jesus. So we ask, Lord, as we uh, close our service today, You'll help us to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Put into practice those things that we need to practice so others will know that we've spent time with God and we're in the process of becoming more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for Christ and his willingness to give up his life on the cross so that these things can be a reality in our lives, not just theoretical. It's not just something that we talk about. It is reality. We can become, with each passing day, more and more, like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for the teachings of the Word of God that help us do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.